Christian Wade is the running back, and he gets the carry here for the Bills. And look at Wade go! All the way from England to the house! Touchdown, Buffalo! Unbelievable! What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. It's Twitter Tuesday here on today's podcast, and I really like the talking points that you guys brought to the table today. A lot of fun stuff, some different angles, some good questions this week. Really appreciate it. As a reminder, you can get your Twitter Tuesday items answered as well by hitting me up on Twitter, at the Joe Marino. The hashtag is Twitter Tuesday. Also, you can send me an email, joe at thedraftnetwork.com, and uh, you can send it to me that way. Lots of people do both every week, so you... Do what works for you. We'll make sure we get it on the show and uh, fill it up. It's never too early to send them in. If you think of something, go ahead and get it in so that way uh, we don't miss it. So let's get right to it. The first one today comes from Andrew. Andrew says, temperature looks to be in the high 90s for joint practices. In your experience, Joe, how does the heat affect individual NFL practices and how does it affect teams that are located in high temperature areas? Do you think it even factors in besides maybe some fights because everyone's hot and tired? Uh, Andrew, uh, very excited to be at these practices today. I'll be at both sessions, Tuesday and Wednesday in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where the Bills and Carolina Panthers will be teaming up for some joint sessions. So we'll give you full reaction to that on the Wednesday and Thursday podcast. Um, so, And I'll, I'll obviously be tweeting a lot, so make sure you're following me on Twitter, at the Joe Marino. Um, I think it's a good thing, right? Because... There are different elements that teams have to face. And we always talk about you know, the cold and teams having to go play in frigid situations. But the other is true as well. Teams from up north having to go and play games in Carolina and Jacksonville and Miami and Texas and all the places that are really hot and don't have domes. Now, the reality of these practices, because I've looked at the forecast is they're both at 9.15 a.m. And so the forecast is calling for upper 70s to low 80s. You know, it's going to get up into the 90s, but that's going to be 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm not sure how much of a, a scorching situation they're going to be truly replicating. Now, there's some humidity in the south that is unlike anything that the Bills will deal with up north and get exposed to. So I think it's a good opportunity to evaluate the football team, uh, see if you know, see if guys have to deal with some attrition and and find out what, what these guys are made of. So I think it's a good thing. And obviously the familiarity, I know we joke a lot about the Carolina-Buffalo connections, but the familiarity with these two coaches I think will be good for this scenario as opposed to a couple of coaches that aren't necessarily familiar, that don't have the same mindset going into the practice. I think you'll see a, a, a situation here that creates the environment both teams are hoping to create throughout the session. Vin says, hey, Joe, fired up having some Buffalo Bills football on my TV. It's me too, brother. Nathan Peterman is again looking the part in his most recent preseason game in Oakland. What do you think it is that he always looks promising in preseason, but in real games, we know what he really looks like? Thank you. Vin, That's there's a lot to get into here. First of all, I think it speaks to Sean McDermott not being a complete idiot for giving him two different chances to start for this football team. The first time... When he benched Tyrod Taylor amid a playoff run, the Bills' passing offense sucked. Let's face it, they was not productive. Now, Tyrod Taylor didn't turn over the football, 
but they weren't moving the football. They weren't creating big plays. It wasn't there. They were getting by. And so Sean McDermott saw an opportunity to potentially upgrade the passing offense with a player that has looked good in preseason. And I'm sure he looks good in games. And then the same thing happened. Nate Peterman was awesome last year in preseason. High completion percentage, moved the team, uh, took care of the football for the most part, only one interception. He's a really good preseason and practice player. And you just don't know how guys are going to respond in game situations. It's a different situation. It's a different scenario. And so Sean McDermott's not a complete idiot for both of the times that he chose to start Nate Peterman. Now, why is it different? Why is the performance different? Well, it really comes down to game planning. You are facing defenses that are specifically going to play against you and take away what you do best. And so if you go against Nathan Peterman, a guy with very modest physical ability, very, very modest arm strength, you're going to force him to hit throws outside their numbers, You know, really, really put your coverage in the middle of the field and challenge him to prove that he can make throws outside the numbers. And what happens when Nate Peterman throws the ball outside the numbers? It's a friggin' pick six, right? We know it. We've seen it. And so it's it's that game plan element that comes into play that the limitations of a quarterback late like Nathan Peterman are are taken advantage of. And I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, Peterman even had like a 50-yard run in that game. So preseason Peterman is just as good as what? Tom Brady, man. But uh, the reality is his limitations are too much for him to be a consistent player in an NFL football game. Scarecrow Boat says, I can't shake the feeling that Isaiah McKenzie brings more to the offense than Zay Jones. I know McKenzie has his ball control problems, but at least defenses have to worry about him. What are your thoughts? Well, um, I mean, I when you say they have to worry about him, I guess you're probably referring to some of that quickness and some of that speed that he has because he's he's really tiny guy. So he's got some physical limitations um, in terms of size and stature. And Zay Jones is, is more of a prototype in terms of uh, a good size and an athletic profile for the position. I think you're probably just a little bit more used to Zay Jones. He's got more targets his way. He struggled through some things throughout his career, but you know he was the Bills' leading receiver last year, and I thought he showed a lot of good chemistry with Josh Allen last year, and we saw them look to hook up quite a few times in the couple of series we saw from Josh Allen uh, in preseason against the Colts last week. So I do think that there's more in the tank for Zay Jones in terms of physical ability combined with size. Um, he was an incredibly productive football player at East Carolina. And, uh, you know, he hasn't come out and lit the world on fire in terms of the NFL, but I think that he has more physical ability. And uh, Isaiah McKenzie, I think if you get him in situations that hide uh, some of his size deficiencies, you get him touches in space, um, you use him on end arounds and, and just really, you know, tunnel screen stuff to get him the ball quickly, that it will help him. Now, I know that that doesn't line up with the two great plays we saw him make down the field against the Colts where he really showed the ability to make adjustments to the, to the football and win vertically. So, look, I, I mean, if he continues to show that type of ability, he's going to really make a claim for that number number six spot on this roster when it comes to the wide receivers. But I, I do believe that Zay Jones has, has more in terms of an all-around skill set that's more desirable for consistently winning in more ways than Isaiah McKenzie would in the NFL. Before we move on, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. 
Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this just isn't for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and I thank them for sponsoring the podcast. I'll be right back to get into more Twitter Tuesday items. All right, welcome back. We've got a couple here that are very similar, talking about Shaq Lawson. So I'll read both of them and then talk about them together. And it's good to see Shaq Lawson on people's minds because I think he's a pretty underrated player. Not a superstar like you'd expect for a first-round pick, but he has value to this football team. So Matt says, Joe, do you envision the Bills re-signing Shaq Lawson because of his versatility and pretty solid all-around skills? If he has an average season, or do you expect him to get overpaid in free agency? Judge Mathis says Shaq Shaq Lawson is an underrated piece on this defense. Great backup because he has three-position versatility, stout against the run, and can generate a little pass rush. I'd like to keep him beyond 2019, but fear that he'll be too pricey. What price do you think he'll fetch in the open market if he continues his career trend of four sacks? And what if he doubles his sack total? Um, Listen, I think... It's 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 always been a challenging discussion for Shaq Lawson and what he's what his value is because he's a first round pick and we take a defensive end pass rusher in the first round you want a guy that's going to really get after the quarterback and be a problem off the edge. Well, Shaq Lawson's proven to be a very very good run defender, like an excellent run defender and a pretty pedestrian pass rusher. You know, look, he's gotten better. His pressures have increased. Uh, actually, I have the data in front of me. If I, you look at uh, at Pro Football Focus, his pressures increased from 12 as a rookie to 18 in 2017 to 23 in 2018. So he's, he's getting after it more. He's grading better as a pass rush. His pass rush grades have risen from 51 to 56 to 65. And uh, his run defense has increased from 55 to 74 to 81. His overall grades has increased from 52 to 65 to 76 and a half. So he's a he's a solid football player. He just doesn't make the impact as a run as a pass rusher as we all hoped for a top 20 pick. Now, look, is there reason to believe that he can be still be a really good run defender and and increase his ability to rush the passer and be more productive in that regard this season? Absolutely. It's a contract year. You know he's motivated to really perform and and earn a big payday. And that he has proven across three seasons that he's getting better. And so you like to see that you're going to get the absolute best version of Shaq Lawson this year. And I feel bad for Shaq Lawson because he had to deal with the BS of Rex Ryan in year one. There was the, uh, the shoulder injury and then playing him as an outside linebacker. 2017, it kind of felt like he was trying to figure out what the right weight to play at was, and that affected him. And then last year, he kind of saw the best version of him so far, and I'm hoping that he takes another step forward uh, in 2019. He'll be 25 years old, and obviously that big payday is something he wants to get. So what do I think his contract will look like? I I can see this going a couple different ways. Let's say that he has his normal year 
30 to 40 tackles, four sacks. I think you're looking at a situation where it could be like a one-year $5 million deal, one-year $6 million deal, something like that, where he'll want to have another season to to kind of show that upward momentum again and and get ready for a big payday. He could take a deal something like what, what Trent Murphy got. Three years, $21, $22 million, something like that, where you know he's not really you know bursting the seams when it comes to average per year contract, but he's got a nice chunk of change locked in for a reasonably short period of time. Now, if he goes out and gets eight, nine, ten sacks this year, you know, we're looking at a guy that's gonna want around 10 million a season, you know, somebody three years 30, four years 40, something like that. So just keep in mind as we root for Shaq Lawson this year, every sack is very important for that man's contract. And for him, yeah, you, you he's going to want to get as many as he can. And so um, you know, he, we'll see what that looks like. I think the challenging thing when it comes to talking about re-signing Shaq Lawson is is he a replacement value player? And I think the Bills, right now, it might be a little bit early to talk about letting guys walk because they're replaceable. Um, but we have to start thinking about it a little bit because there's some good football players on this football team, really good young football players that we're going to want to keep around for a long time. And you have to think about that when making contracts right now that in a couple of years, you're going to have guys like Trey White and Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds and down the line, Ed Oliver. And hopefully Josh Allen's a player that we were screaming for the Bills to play to pay $40 million a season for. Maybe Deion Dawkins like continues to, to kind of build his momentum and, and really proves to be a quality left tackle. And so do you want to start committing – Seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year to players like Shaq Lawson, who we all recognize the role. We think it's important. It brings value, but being forward thinking about some of these really outstanding players that you definitely don't want to let go. You know, keeping making sure that you're keeping uh, the space available to get them. So I do think it's a little early to really get concerned about Shaq Lawson. The Bills can front load the deal, and they'll be in good shape. All that type of stuff. But as time goes on here, and we're talking in a couple of years about players like Shaq Lawson, we got to pay Trey and Tremaine and Ed Oliver and Josh Allen and all these really good young football players. So, And the safeties, right? Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. I think we all want to see those guys playing together for a long time. And, uh, you know, they're both kind of underpaid when it comes to the landscape of NFL safeties, which we've talked about a lot here on this podcast. Uh, Charlie Gross has one here. We're going to keep it in the defensive end discussion. Uh, This is more of a take, which I kind of like. Charlie says the Bills will end up keeping five defensive ends. Uh, Their names are Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy, Shaq Lawson, Sam Acho, Mike Johnson, or Daryl Johnson, and Mike Love gets cut. Listen, uh, that was something that we talked about yesterday with with Greg Thompson, and he actually had that exact scenario happening with Mike Love going on the practice squad. No, he didn't. We didn't have uh, Sam Acho. So it was it was Hughes, Murphy, Lawson, and Johnson with Mike Love going to the um, the practice squad. So I think you can lock in Hughes, Murphy, and Lawson, and then it gets really interesting because you know Acho's a big time character guy that you feel like can fill a role, but you know you definitely don't want to. You're not going to hide if Daryl Johnson's a player we saw against the Colts last week for the rest of the preseason. There's no hiding him on the practice squad. I think that you can take that risk with Mike Love and putting him on the practice squad. So I think the Bills will keep five. I don't know if Acho is going to be part of the mix. I I don't know. If they want that veteran leader at defensive end, really high character guy, all that type of stuff, they'll keep him. But 
it's hard it's hard for me to to see you know look there's just Lorenzo Alexander's a guy that can come down and play defensive end so in that scenario you basically have like six capable edge rushers and I just think that's too heavy based on where I think the Bills are going to have to go heavy at potentially running back uh, at linebacker corner I just think it gets a little bit dicey when you start talking about keeping five defensive end especially with the versatility of a guy like Lorenzo Alexander Got to tell you guys about Lockdown Fantasy Football. Fantasy football players, make sure you check out Vinny Iyer in the Lockdown Fantasy Football podcast. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else, then you're the same. Get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Lockdown Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider. Got some more to get to right after this. All right, next one here comes from David. He says, given Mitch Morse being in concussion protocol and with his history of concussions, it's time to start thinking about Feliciano or Long combined maybe to start more games at center than Morse. Man, I I hate that we're still talking about Mitch Morse in the concussion protocol, but he's still in it. And yeah, I think we've got to be concerned. I mean, he's got four documented discussions so far in the NFL, and he's got one right now. And I think that's the type of thing that you have that you're you have that you're susceptible to them reoccurring, and as much as we don't want to admit it, it's a concern. And I, I talked so much about the value of Mitch Morse and how much of an asset he is to this offense, and especially Josh Allen. But the reality is, I'm concerned about his availability. And yeah, I mean, thank God the Bills signed Feliciano and Long, two guys that can snap. And, uh, and step in. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be to the caliber of a Mitch Morse, obviously an elite pass protector in the NFL. But, you know, Mitch Morse has got to stay healthy. And, and I'm concerned about his ability to do that. Dylan says, with the signing of Captain Munnerlin, do you think it puts Lafayette Pitts off the final 53? Or is he just going to be a camp body for some solid veteran guidance? It's just hard for me to see them signing him this late if they didn't at least see some light at the end of the tunnel. Does he contribute on special teams? I believe he ran uh, punt return at Carolina, but with Andre Roberts holding that down, what does he really bring to the team? Really good question here, Dylan. If you recall from the 53-man projection that I did yesterday with Greg Thompson, I really struggled with this because I really wanted to put Munnerlin on the team. You know, I thought it said a lot that in concert with EJ Gaines going on IR, they bring in Captain Munnerlin. And position, I mean, the cornerback position on this football team is one that you feel pretty good about, the depth and uh, being able to withstand the loss to EJ Gaines, yet they went ahead and brought in, you know, Captain Munnerlin, who's been in the league for like 11 years, you know, and so why would they bring in a player like this if there wasn't a real chance that he could make the team? Well, the complicating thing is Lafayette Pitts, right, who played a ton of special teams last year, who showed some good flashes last week in the preseason at playing corner, and they resigned, they brought him back, like they wanted him to be part of the mix, and so. I mean, he's certainly cuttable, and you, you know, you're not going to lose any sleep. But I really feel like the Bills like him. But I also feel like the Bills really like Captain Munnerlin. I don't think there's a place for both. Now, you mentioned the the special teams component of this discussion. I think it's a good thing to mention. You look at his last uh, since 2013, and in, uh, in 2013 he was a very active uh, special teams player. He had actually not not really. He played 17, 72 snaps, and 50 of those were on field goal block. So he really played 12 special team snaps outside of field goal block in 2013. 
2014, he played 14 special team snaps. In 2015, he played 34. In 2016, he played four. In Carolina, in 2017, he played seven. And in Carolina, in 2018, he played 13. So he's played some special teams, primarily as a punt returner, occasionally on kick coverage, never on kick return, occasionally on punt coverage, where, you know, Lafayette Pitts really fills these up across the board. And so, you know, Lafayette Pitts right now is a better special teams player than Captain Munderland. And I know Captain Munderland's probably a better corner with more versatility, but Lafayette Pitts, if he can just like, like Greg said on the podcast yesterday, like break glass in case of emergency and get by, he's going to dress and play a lot of special teams for this football team and where Captain Munderland hasn't really done that. So unless the Bills just have to have his veteran presence on the back end, which I don't think they do, you know, Captain Munderland's a player that might have an uphill battle to make this football team. Uh, The next one here comes from Morgan. Hi, Joe. Love the podcast. I'm a fan from the UK here. Man, I love that. I love getting to interact uh, with fans uh, across the pond. I start to to engage with more and more of them, and uh, the enthusiasm and love that those guys have over there is just awesome. Football is such a great game. The entire world needs to experience, and I love it to know that we have fans in the UK and then they're interacting here on this podcast. So Morgan says... Good win against the Colts and some awesome performances. It was great to see Wade get that touchdown. Knowing rugby from the UK, I know the kind of skill set Wade has, and I think we got a glimpse of that. I'm interested to know your opinion on him. Do you think there's a place for him in the squad? on the squad? I personally believe he could offer a lot and add a dimension to the game. Well, I mean, obviously that was the first time I've ever seen Christian Wade play football, and I, and I don't have great familiarity with him and his skill set outside of just kind of the highlights that I saw from his time playing rugby. Um, and so it's hard for me to extrapolate the football traits, the ap- the applicable football traits, just because I don't know that much about rugby. But you can definitely see that he's a really a- a athletic guy, uh, very shifty. He's elusive, uh, really dynamic in terms of being able to plant outside his frame and cut. And he's just a really shifty guy, and that's exciting. Um, the I do think there's a place for him on this football team, but the fact that the Bills get an extra practice squad player because of him, I think is uh, going to be an asset to him, right? He's going to be collecting a, a paycheck from the Buffalo Bills in 2019, and that's probably going to be on the practice squad where they got that international pathway uh, additional spot. And so I think that's where you'll see him. And just I think you just take a year to find out what type of ability he has and how he can he can impact the football team. You know, I, I don't want to get ahead of our, ahead of myself, but it, can he be you know a top three back next year with Devin Singletary, somebody, and and Christian Wade? You know, and so I think there's a big curve ahead of him to really just learn everything about football and not only do that, but do it in the NFL level. I think there's a lot to be asked there, but you know, if he can be on the practice squad, be around the game every day. Uh, learning the different techniques and nuances and how play calls work and the timing and all that type of stuff, it really sets himself up to have a, uh, an opportunity to be part of the mix in 2020 on the on the 53-man roster. So for this year, I think that roster, that practice squad exemption is going to you know certainly help him and, and he'll be getting a nice paycheck from the Bills. Uh, but yeah, I think his, his real opportunity to make an impact on Sundays is going to be uh, you know, learning the game this year and then stepping in uh, as, as a big-time contributor in 2020 and beyond. Next one here comes from Bogey McBurdy. Joe, didn't I hear that the Bills hired a consulting with an analytics company for the purpose of data gathering on things such as fourth-down probabilities, 
when to and more importantly when not to challenge plays, etc. Their process is bad. I don't disagree with you, uh, Bogey. I think that there's a lot to be said for some of the um, issues that Sean McDermott's had with some of those situations where it was time to go for it or when to challenge, when not to challenge. And yeah, the Bills have brought in some analytics people to help with that. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's being aware of where you're you're great and where you're lacking. And I think for Sean McDermott, he's really good in terms of development and building a culture. And he's really good in terms of game planning and scheme. But maybe those situational management moments aren't his best in terms of being aggressive going for it, when not to punt. You know, challenges, obviously his challenge record's very poor. Uh, so yeah, I think Sean McDermott recognizes that, and I think that's why you saw uh, this this um, this analytics piece come into the football team to help with those situations. And so, yeah, it sounds like they're improving that bad process, as you put it, which I don't think you're you're wrong. The Bills guys, uh, could someone explain to me why Wyatt Teller isn't getting any looks at right guard? He looked great last night, and I'd like to see. And I'd free for and excuse me, and it would free Feliciano and Long to both be quality depth guys. Well, Feliciano and Long, might, one of those guys might have to start. Mitch Morse can't get healthy here, uh, so there's something that to keep in mind. But yeah, I think Wyatt Teller, the way he played against the Colts, changed my outlook for him for sure. And we got a long, we still got three more games, and all that type of stuff has to happen. But you know, Wyatt Teller. As a draft pick, as a player with some starting experience, uh, with what he showed in that preseason game, yeah, I mean, I'm as optimistic on him as I ever can be. So, I, I mean, I think the the higher upside guy is is maybe Cody Ford at right guard, um, but you know, White Teller's certainly going to give him a run here. It would appear um, as a potential player at that spot. I think you know, with 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 uh, Ty Insecki really being the right option at right tackle and and wanting to get Cody Ford on the gu- at guard. That really complicates things. But, I mean, why can't he surplant Quentin Spain at left guard? So, yeah, I think Wyatt Tiller is definitely alive in the mix at guard. And I think that I feel better than I ever have about his ability to make this roster. Matt says, would you like to see the draft process change to allow undrafted underclassmen to go back to college? Or do you like the current format? Well, that's that's loaded there, Matt. Um I don't necessarily like the current format because I hate seeing 30% of the undrafted, uh, 30% of the underclassmen that declare not get drafted. We see it every freaking year. These players get bad information. And as a draft guy, I, I get exposed to that in, in a lot of ways with just the amount of people that will ask for, you know, projections and the way that media, the competition for the competition for like agents to get guys and what they'll say about them to to land them in hopes that they can, you know, get contracts. It's it's just a really bad situation, and these these players are pulled in all kinds of directions, and they they're going to believe what they want to believe, and it's very disappointing to see so many guys not get drafted. Now, I I think I don't think you can let them go back. I, I think that that encourages more guys to declare, you know, and so. I think you're going to have that number even increase if you if you can go back to school. You're going to see a higher amount of players declare. You're going to see a higher percentage of them not get drafted, and you have this really weird dynamic of players bouncing back and forth. I just don't think that's healthy either. So, I think something should change. I don't think allowing undrafted guys to go back is specifically the answer. But yeah, I think that there's something has to happen here. Better regulations 
or just look, there's a personal responsibility component of it. And you have to be honest with yourself in terms of what your skill set is, what your size, your athletic potential, what your resume on the field is, and understand where that puts you in terms of the NFL landscape and where drafted players get drafted. And so, like, it's it's the self-awareness and a personal responsibility component that I think is, is necessary to discuss when having this conversation. Last one here comes from Tony Chimera. Tony says... Which of the Bills' recent additions to the roster has the chance to make the biggest impact? I think it's got to be Captain Munderland or Sam Acho, even though I don't necessarily believe that either one's going to make the team. Um, I talked a lot about Munderland a minute ago. I think he gives you that inside-outside versatility. But at the same time, it's like you have Trey White, Levi Wallace, Kevin Johnson that you feel good about outside, Saran Neal, Teron Johnson inside. Like, the Bills aren't screaming for depth at corner right now at either spot, but Captain Munnerlin is a vet that can do that for you, but we just mentioned, like, he doesn't really play special teams uh, in in the capacity that you would want for, like, a sixth corner. So um, it's hard for me to see a course there. And then Sam Macho, like, he's been around the league for a while. He's had some good production. He started a lot of games. But are you going to keep five defensive ends? Because I think you're definitely going to keep Hughes Lawson – Murphy and Daryl Johnson, and then you have, like I said earlier, Lorenzo Alexander can come down and rush, and you have Mike Love, who you could probably put on the practice squad. But like, what's the course for Acho? So I don't, I don't know. Like I don't know that any of them will be making a big impact on this roster. But those two, because they're veterans, um, they they give me the the most likely probability that you know they'll be contributors and help the football team come the regular season. That's going to do it for us here today. Looking forward to covering these joint practices with the Carolina Panthers on Tuesday and Wednesday and giving you all of my analysis here on the podcast. I'll be at the game Friday, and so we'll definitely have a Saturday reaction show this week. So lots of Locked On Bills for you. Six episodes this week. Don't miss them. Make sure that you're subscribed. I kindly ask that you rate and review the podcast. And if you want to make me really happy, you'll share it and tell your friends about what we're doing over here on Locked On Bills. Thanks so much for listening.